Welcome to more about officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards one Australia territory, host Captain Matt Reed is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today. Welcome back to another episode of the Candidates Podcast. Good to have your company. We're talking all things uh, sort of leadership and uh, particularly those who are exploring ministry. So hopefully uh, today will be helpful to speak into that. I have a guest with me who is affectionately known as Stewie, uh, but is actually Captain uh, Stuart McGifford. So welcome to you, Stuart. Uh, thank you, Matt. Stuart, like, you're like Madonna, Madonna. You know, yeah. one name, Stewie. Uh, it's funny, for my whole career I've been Captain Stew or yeah, Stewie or Stewie. Stewie. Uh, eventually I'm going to get promoted and I don't know how I'm going to cope with this. <laughs> It'll be okay. Well, well, just ring me when it happens. Um <laughs> Who are you? Let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you you have a lot of experience in ministry in lots of different places, uh, so we're pretty keen to hear. Extract all your wisdom. Yeah. So how long how long will that take? Uh, oh, look, probably ten to fifteen uh, seconds. All right. Well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, I'm I'm Stuart. I'm uh, in the Northern Territory at the moment in Alice Springs, which is really great. Um, and it's been a long journey to get there. Um, really funny. I, um, I as a cadet, um, I got appointed to do my out training at Alice Springs. And I, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted my life to be and what I wanted to do. But a couple of Aboriginal ladies just took me under their wing, taught me a few words of Arundur and stuff. And I got to sit cross-legged with them in the dirt occasionally at the front of church and sit around. And in that three months... Um, I really fell in love with the work with Aboriginal people and I've spent a lot of my career hoping that I would finally get to go back there and do that. And so at the moment I'm in Alice Springs, a place that I absolutely feel God has placed me. I absolutely feel that I said the other day to someone, I said if the Secretary of Personnel were to give me free choice on appointments, I'd be right where I am. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's not really always how I felt about where I am. But it is at the moment and yeah. that's a really wonderful place to be in. So yeah. so just backtracking, you're married to Nari? Yes, Nari. Nari, Nari, Nari. Yeah, that happens all the time. Nari. Uh, we used to that. She's Nari, N-A-R-I. Nari. She was in our, our session. Yes, she was, that. yes. So Nari. And two kids? Two kids, yep. Melinda and Lachlan, seven and nine. Nice. Wonderful. It's probably going to be eight and nine by the time this goes to air. But oh, yes. <laughs> hey, mate, this is live, live. Uh, so Alice Springs is not a, a, it's a very unique place. It's a very beautiful place. But it has some unique challenges, and I think just while we sort of dig in and get to know you a little bit, what what, is, what are some of the unique challenges in Alice Springs as a Salvation Army officer that you've had to address or deal with? Yeah, I think the first thing is Alice Springs is a small town of thirty thousand in the middle of nowhere. You could drive for a thousand kilometres in any direction from Alice Springs and not come to another Salvation Army centre, or really another town that you would want to spend more than half a day in. Um, Alice Springs is intensely remote. It's beautiful. It's hot. It's really hot. And that's lovely three quarters of the year. Um, it's also a town that has a significant Aboriginal population. Actually, the town's about half-half Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal people, at which makes it really one of the most unique places in Australia. Um, it's in the centre of Australia, so it's a place where people of all different backgrounds come together. So you have 
lots of uh, kind of southern state, well-educated people coming there to make a difference and to give back. You have lots of people from other states who, particularly those, we have a big group of tradies from kind of the outback areas coming down. So it's a really strange melting pot of people that live in Alice Springs. Is it transient? Yeah, people come through. Um, the Aboriginal population is not as transient as in they, a lot of people come in and out of town from communities that are maybe three to 500 k's away. They come in for treatment, they go back. Mm. So so your community for Alice Springs, particularly with Aboriginal people, kind of stretches five, 600 kilometres. For non-Aboriginal people, a lot of people come through and there's high um, employment up there and there's a good chance to make a good wage because it's shorter staff, because it is remote. So people of all different backgrounds might come through for two or three years, work a really interesting job, new graduates come up and... Get some experience. Yeah, they and they really do get to do all types of things. So for us in the, um, particularly in our social programs, we find that... Um, in Melbourne and Sydney and in many other places that have a large population base, there would be a string of specialist services. In Alice Springs, there's much more generalist services. So what happens is we see a lot, a much, uh, we see a lot more ministry opportunities in social that in other places would go to this agency or that agency, the agency that specialises in youth or homelessness or they come through our front door. And there's nowhere we we are the specialists and the generalists. So let's talk about your front door, so yep. to speak. Um, I know I've been to Alice Springs and yep. I've been to the court. I haven't. I don't think I. To be fair, I haven't seen it in full flight. Like it was a. I think it was a Sunday. We were there, but I think we went the Monday to. We bought some artwork. Mm. I think that's how it all worked. But um, what what does a what does a day look like in the life of the Alice Springs Court? Given that it is such a a, a unique service and a, a one. Like catchment, um, yeah. Look, it's <laughs> it's just wonderful. It it's a place that really makes my mind buzz all the time, um, and in a, in really great ways most of the time. And occasionally that plays out in difficult circumstances. So uh, we have a drop-in centre that runs four days a week. Um, we have Wednesdays off for sanity reasons, um, <laughs> and really the um, the drop-in centre opens, and on Monday morning there will be somewhere between 20 and 60 people waiting at our gates to use bathrooms, use showers, run their clothes through the laundry service we run, have a cup of tea and some toast, which we run in our drop-in centre. And so on Monday morning you might have this human rush of 50, 60, 70 people, mostly Aboriginal. Usually there's a couple of not Aboriginal people who are in for the same reasons. They slept out in the park last night or whatever. They come through, then they... Some of them drift off fairly quickly after that and then the centre drops into a hum and some of the um, ladies come in, they begin painting, they paint pictures that then we put up for sale and we sell through our gallery, which is, gallery sounds really fabulous. It's a small office, yeah. probably about three and a half by three and a half with the pictures hanging on the wall, but nonetheless. Well, the, the day that we were there, the ladies were painting. So they actually paint there? Yeah, we, we actually have, and we used to have a little bit of painting off-site. Now we actually say, if you didn't paint it here, we won't sell it here. If you painted it somewhere else, go to one of the other galleries in town. All our artwork now is painted in the drop-in centre. And so, yeah, literally, and there are times where people come in, they see someone working on something and go, 
any chance they'd sell that to me and and we broker it. So there is a system to make sure that the artist gets good payment. We take a small commission off that to cover the the basic administration and GST and stuff like that. Um, but it really becomes a place where people can get a bit of independence, a bit of income to offset the fact that um, life can be pretty tough in Central Australia. Mm. It's so pretty, you know, the, the canyons and all the walks and whatever yep. and the, the rock, which is not, I know it's a little bit... Just for everyone's from- reference... Uluru is 500 kilometres from Alice Springs. So just just in case you come and go, why can't I see the rock from the front door of the Salvation we, Army? We Good would, news is we have 130k speed limits, so it's only about three and a half yeah. hours if you do it really well. But we, we were talking to a couple when we were in there and um, and they were going to Alice Springs for the day. Oh, no, to El, uh, Ayers Rock for the day or Uluru. Uluru, please. For the day. Yes. I was like... I don't think you've got any idea. <laughs> I think that's the thing that we've had to get used to there, which is in the same way, and I've been in country Victoria, I've been in Victoria, yeah. um, in the same sense that you would think of maybe a neighbouring town being uh, somewhere between 30 and 100 kilometres away, mm-hmm. you know, that in Alice Springs and Northern Territory, we don't think about 30, we think Tennant Creek's 500 k's, mm-hmm. oh, you pop up there just for a day, day and a half, mm-hmm. like, Uluru's 500 k's away down at Yalara. So these towns, Hermansburg is probably our nearest large-sized town. It's 3,000. It's 130 kilometres. I pop out to Hermansburg occasionally for a cup of tea with someone. That's part of the ministry. So you have to change your mindset from kind of eastern um, coast and some other places around what remote means. Remote means for us my nearest core is either Port Augusta in South Australia or Catherine. So on holidays, I ring up the guys at Catherine and say, hey, you want to have dinner? Or we we talk together and we meet together occasionally. Um, but if you're going through, you always stop in places like that. So what is, given that there's such a, a large Aboriginal population in Alice Springs and the core is immersed in that, what, what does spirituality look like? for a community that has um, such a, a vast and expressive um, spirituality, when you run a core, what, what, where does that play into that? How does that fit together to build that, that community of, of worshippers but also recognising, acknowledging um, the cultural? I'll, um, yeah, I'll... Um I'll rob a line from The Simpsons. You know, I love Troy McClure. You might remember me from such films as the <laughs> National Launch video because uh, f- uh, when Floyd came up, he asked us about fostering Christian spirituality in that place. Oh, did he? And, um, I should, I'm going to watch one of those. Uh, you'll, you'll go watch it later. This is just a reminder. Um, I'm not getting paid per view or anything or per like like that, so it's fine. Just go Matt, watch it. Um, but we talked about everything is spiritual. And, and for us, that's the thing around if we really have this philosophy of the Salvation Army that – a cup of water in his name is Christ's work, that we came to visit the uh, those who are in jail, those who are sick, those who have this Matthew 25 understanding of what is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I love the fact that the good news of Jesus Christ is a story that we preach and we communicate, but it's also something that we live and informs our every action. So in Central Australia, first off we have to say, Everything is spiritual. When you live in a desert and out the front of our centre is a tap that people can access 24-7 to get a glass of water or fill a water bottle or whatever, that is a symbol of what we do in this place. 
uh, and it speaks into the life of place. So um, spirituality is acknowledging the whole person to acknowledge the fact that people are in difficulty and circumstances and we have to minister um, to to their souls, the spiritual aspects of life, to the stuff that kind of transcends the current circumstances. But we also have to minister to the very simple things like, I'm hungry, um, and that informs everything we do. When we come to Sunday, which is a really important part of the week for us in the life of our centre and our everything we do, and we have a number of staff who are Christians, some who go to other churches, uh, some who come to our church, and we have a few staff that don't go to a church or to a church that I know of, but we're all involved in this response. But on Sundays, um, it's just a wonderful kind of gathering that is, it is the most unique congregation I've stepped into and I've been to a few unique congregations. Uh, it really does bless my heart to see. We occasionally sing in Aboriginal language. We used to do it a lot, um, but some of our best singers aren't around at the moment. So we uh, do a lot of well-known hymns. It's in some senses, it's quite traditional, but we'll break into, you know, be still and know that I am God in Western Aranda, which is Unda, Kalta, Ying, Algira, beautiful words that we split into this other language. Mm. And there's a wonderful sense of togetherness. Um, in so many of the communities, um, they're based on a particular language group surround Alice Springs, Uendamu is Walpre, Hermansburg is Aranda and there's, you know, the Lutheran community. There's a, another Aranda community that's Santa Teresa to the south that's Catholic. Um, there is these outlining towns that have this particular thing. But in Alice Springs, we all come together. We have Pitanjara speakers from down below the border. We have Aranda speakers who are from around Alice Springs and the nearby regions. We have Walpree people who are from up north. So our church isn't based around any one Aboriginal language group. So it can be a little bit difficult to find things that bind us all together because you would immediately think, oh, we'll do stuff in language. But when you start doing that, you're doing it in four languages because there's also Laritia. <laughs> um, so we have four main language groups amongst the people, Aboriginal people that come to church and, you know, you put on a song in the church service that's pit and jar and it turns out they're all visiting family and only the Aranda people are in. So it can be a misadventure in just stumbling through how you figure this out. Um, but the thing I've most found is that um, Aboriginal people are, are quieter and don't express necessarily explicitly what they're thinking or feeling. So you just have to be really sensitive for looking for how people are responding uh, to what's happening, are people uncomfortable, that's expressed that. So it's Aboriginal culture, these amazing things at morning tea where you see this entire conversation happen with like three words and hand signals um, and you're like, it's a very contextual language set, it's a very interesting place. Uh, it's a bit like the way they in the Bible they talk about Hebrew being everything that's spoken is kind of content on context, set on context, whereas the Greek language is very explicit and it, mm. uh, you, it reminds you that English and our approach is so brash compared to some other cultures. So it is an interesting space to operate in. Yeah. Did you ever imagine that, I mean, you're, you're, you're the same vintage as me. Yes. Melbourne Central, yes. Melbourne Central. Uh, you, you, you sort of talked about that's where, where you'd love to be. Did you ever sort of imagine that that, would happen. I mean, I know, like we sort of grew up in youth groups and 
northern of, suburbs of Melbourne, yeah. Well, that sort of jazz. And and then at some point you you felt a call to, or you ended up in ministry. Yeah. And then you landed there. Is that part of, is a continuation of all that that began early on? Because I know talking to people who are exploring ministry, sort of what we do now doesn't necessarily, it's not what they want to do, but it actually builds on, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a progressive kind of thing that God teaches us something in our early days and through different experiences and then we end up in a place like Alice Springs and then who knows where to from there. But is that, is that part of your story? I, I, I th- if I try and, and um, if I try and put my finger on it, and um, I talk about this Alice Springs, but I've just come off 18 months ago finishing a stint in Dandenong, which was intently filled with people of different cultures from yes. Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, uh, Vietnam, um, India, Sri Lanka. Like we, we've just had this very interesting multicultural experience and you go to Alice Springs and it's a very interesting but different multicultural experience. If I put my finger on it, um, I grew up in um, Mill Park um, for my teenage years. We moved out there when I was about 13 and... Um, those who know the northern suburbs of uh, Melbourne, it's right next door to Epping, Layla and Thomastown, which is like the Greek-Italian capital of the world. And so a whole bunch of my mates we, are good. I mate. It's great we, to see you today. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have grass, we have green concrete. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that's Thomastown. Um, <laughs> and um, so growing up um, I had this experience of having friends that whose home life and whose family life, whose parents didn't speak English at home. Yeah, okay. Um, and so the idea that um, other cultures are part of my world really started forming as a teenager, that this was normal, that we would, we would cross into other cultures and along the way we would honour what was great about those cultures and occasionally laugh about what was bizarre about those cultures. But it also it was a reminder that uh, even our, um, I say our own because you and I matter, <laughs> northern suburbs white guys that grew up. But even our own Western culture in a way of practice has some really weird things when you take a step back from it. And you can see why people look at different cultures and go, I don't understand why they do that. But learning to understand some of the differences and honour some of the differences has always been part of who I am. And what it really meant for me is um, it just, <sighs> the surface level stuff just doesn't matter. Uh, you really move past that to where you really encounter a person. And I think along the way it was that great gift. And I worked for Employment Plus for a couple of years and I've worked in uh, in Victoria, in Broadmeadows, Sunshine, Preston, Epping, um, and I worked in Blackburn for a while. So I've had this experience of difference and those suburbs are all very different and very difficult. But along the way it was beginning to see the image of Christ, this this innate thing that when we talk about each person being made in the image of God, you can see this sense of godliness that sits underneath all the cultural layers that come across. And uh, that's become one of the things that's gone with me in ministry is being able to say when you, you can see someone and on so many levels they're so different from me, their culture, their background, their language, the way they behave, what they value and being able to journey far enough so that you can see past that stuff to see that we're brothers and sisters and we're made in the image of Christ and there's something that God has placed in our side that draws us together. And get past the surface. And I think that's the thing in ministry. How do we get past this 
surface level pretense that we're all stuck in sometimes to actually journey with people in their joys, in their hurt, in their pain, in in their hopes and ambitions and in their disappointments and suffering. How do we, as Christ journeyed with us? Because every person feels that. It doesn't matter what culture, background, everyone knows what that feels like. Yeah, well, people can convince themselves and, you know, there's neurological studies on the impacts of um, how you perceive a person's um, background and how much empathy you have for them. How do you, you have to mentally remind yourself to bridge people and actually go, that's a person, you know, and that's one of the challenges is, is you know, Christ didn't come to save Australia. He came to save the world. Yeah. You know, there's actually something universal about the gospel that is not just for a particular people group or it's not a cultural legacy that's left to a small group of people connected to England or something like that. It is a gift for the entire world for every generation and it speaks differently into different cultures around the world. We have to frame that and put that at the start of our thinking and I'm getting on my hobby horse, so I'll hop up now. No, that's right, but, but it's true. Like if you're in Alice Springs, that... But- and, or in any context, but it's it looks a little different, but the the intent is the same. Yeah, that's I guess that's what you're saying. I want to talk about uh, something that you're passionate about. I want another thing, really, as uh, in leadership as art. Yeah. Now, we, we were chatting about this before, um, and I'm I'm interested where this goes. <laughs> but you talk about leadership, and I think leadership at every level in the Salvation Army is is vital. And everyone is different. Everyone is unique. Everyone is made in the image yeah. of, of Christ, and but everyone leads differently. Um, and what, what we were talking about this before we started recording leadership as art for you. What does that mean? How, you've you've obviously got in your mind a uh, you, you've thought about this a lot because we were chatting about it. But explain to people that are listening what what is how do people lead as a as an act of art or creativity? Uh, just as just because I was, I've been thought about a long time doesn't mean I can coherently explain it. That's but right. We can say, record for 15 hours on this device. So. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I had this point where I was talking to a, a mentor, a good friend who, who was just a great sounding board and I was talking, we're talking about existential crisis type stuff around what's ministry really all about? And I, I, I think I stumbled into something along the lines of ministry is relationships and there was a bit of silence before he said, that's crap stew. And I'm going, oh, no, I, I, um, I don't know where to go. And he walked me through, my friend, about... Did you say, could you define what crap means? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I didn't. Oh, right, okay. Uh, uh, although that would have been a fair response. It would have got a laugh. But we walked, <laughs> he walked me through um, describing, he said, I have sales reps that come to visit me and, and they talk about their workers' relationships. He goes, it's transactional. It's not actually a real relationship. He goes, it's it's I buy this from you and you buy this from me. And he goes, in the church, that's really dangerous ground. This idea of ministry is relationships. Well, it's kind of is, but we can there's a real danger where it reduces that down to a transactional type of thing. You will do this for me and I'll do this for you. And it's just favors. And it's actually based on this kind of um, relationship where we're each getting something out of it and so therefore it can be really tempting in life to to really see that as only exploring mutually beneficial things which really conflicts with the good news of Jesus Christ because it was certainly not beneficial to Christ <laughs> to come and do what he did and pour out his suffering. So we were searching for this other way of thinking about it and in the course of this conversation 
I said, I've been toying with this idea that there is ministry as an art form. And um, I am, um, and so therefore it, it becomes, in my life, I've been a few places and along the way I've become convinced when we talk about appointments and where we go, some, so many of that stuff doesn't matter. I think that you could walk down just about any street in Australia in a Salvation Army uniform and eventually ministry will walk upon your path. Such is the capacity, if we are sensitive to Christ, to be able to engage with people. Stuff will happen everywhere. Um, I think for us as the Salvation Army, if you walk down more difficult um, streets in more troubled social economic areas, probably more ministry might walk around your path, but nonetheless, there's a place for everything. But then we talked about the idea of this artist. An artist is one who is able to take something and turn it into something of beauty and function. So, um, you know, you're taking a canvas that's blank and has nothing on it and the, the medium is canvas and they have paint and they throw things on it or paint and on the other side you look at it and go, I, wow, that I, I couldn't see that before. You've taken that, that. But then you get out into some of the country areas and you find these amazing um, metal sculptures that were made from an old tyre rim and and leftover pieces of sheet metal and I've seen one that someone made out of an old windmill that they cut down and returned into something else. You go, they've taken something and they've turned it into something of beauty and function. And I think in the Salvation Army, um, so often we're thrown a bag of old bolts and bits and pieces. You know, I don't often get to a place where I have all the things that I would love to work with. You know, I, you don't arrive as a Salvation Army officer and go, oh, this is just wonderful. There's like 50 leaders who no one understand their role and are Christ-like in every moment of their being and give sacrificially and we have a large surplus of money and we have a huge social centre we're trained staff running out, professionally delivering service without ever having a problem or an incident. And in our community, my leaders and politicians exalt me because of the great work that we've done for you. It's not like that. What? It's, it's occasionally like that. <laughs> it's most places you arrive and there just isn't necessarily the, the material that you in your heart feel like, oh, that's what I want to do at this point in my But, but that, re- that requires humility. And it requires, I would say, an artist eye and I would say a godly artist's eye to see what could come out of that place and the humility stuff and to see it as not below your station, to look at that stuff and go, this is what I've got to work with. I am charged with taking this, whatever it is, and it might be relationships in a community, in a school, it might be a group of old people when I wanted young people, it might be a group of young people when I wanted old people, it, it might be people of different cultures or people who aren't yet saved but love the Salvation Army, all these type of things, all these things that seem like odds and ends when you look at them, but as you as the person who is, and ministry is art, begins to shape that into something, um, that is the godly role because it doesn't matter where they place you. They can place you at a headquarters appointment where you're appointed and you're provided with a desk and a laptop and maybe an admin staff member or something else and almost not enough to do anything. So then your influence and the way you engage with that and your, your ability to work and collaborate on projects. So for me, one of the frames of references I've used in my career to think about who I am is to pretty soon get over having the the right medium, learn to work with the medium that you've been given. Don't just become a painter, become an artist. 
who looks at that and goes, right, in these circumstances, I'm going to do this. But what's the goal? To create something of beauty and function that gives glory to God and represents his kingdom in this place. And, and that process frees me from the idea that I would turn up and oh, I don't know what to do. No, I, I know who I am and I know what I've brought to this thing and I don't need anything else than what God has provided in this space. What about, I was just thinking as you are talking then, there's this idea that I think we go into ministry or people in ministry, like you're either the artist or the canvas, like I want these things, all these things shall be added unto me. <laughs> <laughs> or I actually have, I'm, I'm contributing and I'm not contributing and, and I'll never finish the piece because that's how the world works. But I contribute something to the fabric and, and you were talking before about going back to Dandenong. Mm. Um, you're a part of that. Yeah. You're not, not anymore but you're a part of the fabric, that the artwork that took place to as previous people to you and many more to come. How do you contribute? And, and Contributing in a local setting but recognising that it might be for a period of time that you are actually the artist, not the, the canvas that... Yeah. Should receive all the time. I, I think it's it's a reminder that uh, the thing I loved about Danny Long and you know Danny Long's had some tough times as a core in the past. It's doing pretty well at the moment from what I saw when I visited. Um, but I remember I went out and um, as I did pubs and all the type of things you do, you go out and talk to people. Um, I remember I met a whole bunch of mostly guys who were and some women who were really. Um, rough and it looked like they'd had a rough life. You know, a lot of, I remember talking to a guy with some really good neck tattoos, um, which he told me he got in prison. But he also told me and a bunch of other people did that they met this guy named Ted Gray and this is officer, Ted Gray. And he, um, he'd been kind of three officers before me and I would, and he founded a whole bunch of stuff. He focused on the courts. He really did Salvation Army's work in connecting with people who are really tough in town. He developed anger management programs and stuff to help people get through court. Um, but I was reminded that I walk, whenever I go as a Salvation Army officer, I walk in the tradition of those who have gone before me, that those who have come and made something in that place that have contributed their own art with the odds and ends they inherited. And we actually fit into this tradition of artists and, and missional adventurers Mm. who've gone forth before us. And it's that challenge around, yeah, how do we honour that work that know that that my work as a Salvation Army officer is in a tradition, a tradition that enriches us, that that has set a pioneering standard for, for adventures of how far we can push this thing in the service of Jesus Christ. I come in that tradition, but I'm also charged with pushing forward in a new way myself. Mm. Um, and then... Along the way, your context, the place you're placed, shapes you. It, and mostly for good. Sometimes you pick up stuff that you've got to just, no, I'm not going to carry that forward. But mostly there's these beautiful interactions that are kind of like if you flip it around to the idea of you being the canvas, people leave their mark on you. And so often it's, we can, often it's easy to talk about the ones that are negative or that hurt, but actually so often, and, it's easy to skip over and because Australian culture is so knock it down rough and ready so many times, we miss the the really beautiful transcendent moments um, where people touch our lives and 
who they are and what they did and how they were begin to mould and shape you along the way. And and ministry is one of those adventures where we don't just turn up and, you know, the artist thing is helpful as a leader but the idea of being a community that shapes each other together is actually the actual reality of what's going on underneath it. We collaborate and we explore and we work together and doing that helps make us as people. Mm. So... People who are in the in the throes, I guess, of exploring ministry in the Salvation Army, and and maybe think I, I'm as an artist, I'm not very good, or I don't have much to contribute. Just as we sort of wind it up, what what would you say to people as an encouragement, recognizing that one your experience, but also that which was fed into you um, in your Mill Park days, um, all those years ago, to to bring you to this place of recognizing that we all have something. Um, to contribute to the to the great canvas of what what God is doing in our nation, um, I remember a certain uh, core officer who used to talk about finding weirdos and freaks, and I was one of those. I, I was on the edge of the core. I was on. I wasn't as a teenager fully engaged in church life, uh, and over time that changed. Um, but also, we all have something that unique about who we are and what we bring to the kingdom of God, to our local church, to ministry. And so the answer I'd say is fall in love with contributing that to the kingdom of God. Make that your first thing of whatever I've got, you know, for those people who I love because I don't have to do it, who are blessed in administration and sitting down and getting stuff, bring that. For those who are sensitive to people, for those who are ambitious and driven, bring whatever it is that you have and put it in the service of the kingdom of God. And do that not just in your church but in your work and in your community and in your family. Bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ and put it to work and then fall in love with doing that to the glory of God. And if God's called you to officership, it will be so blatantly clear that there is no other answer and this is where I'm going with my life. And if God hasn't, um, you're still charged with being the best version of you that you can be to contribute to the local church, to contribute to your local community, to make your family uh, a place of blessing to other families in your neighbourhood. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Uh, That is a difficult question and there is all sorts of things that impound on back but the fundamental job of there is nothing more inspiring than meeting people who love what they do, who and who live their lives in a godly way, that is one of the attractive things of the gospel. When the Salvation Army is at its best, we are gatherings of people who love Jesus Christ and serve passionately. Um, And you know what? I think we're at a point where it doesn't matter if you're an officer, a soldier, a cadet, an employee, a volunteer, those gatherings of community um, of people who just love what they do every day and they love the way they're doing it and they love the people that they're doing with we got to get that culture everywhere, you know. So fall in love with that. Fall in love with the very act of serving with the amazing people that God has placed around you. Get some people speaking to your life and have a go at anything and everything and learn new skills that will help you be an artist that bring it all together and learn how to transcend the particular circumstances that I'm in or that this isn't suit me and learn how to be God's person right where you're planted. Mm. Great. Stewie, thanks very much for taking the time to have a chat. 
<clears throat> love hearing about Alice Springs, but that that leadership as art, uh, I think that'll resonate with a lot of people and of the ministry. Well, I hope so. It could be complete waffle, but that complete waffle has helped sustain me in some tough moments. So yeah. I hope it will encourage people to be who God has called them to be. So right. thanks, Matt. It's a real no pleasure. Worries. If you've got questions or comments, you can leave them on the Facebook page. Don't forget to subscribe to more about Officership uh, on in the iTunes. And, of course, um, there's lots of things happening uh, around the country. So be at prayer for the Salvation Army. Pray for the ministry in Alice Springs. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you next time. Thanks, Stewie. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local core officer or candidate secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?